The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book. And you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi. Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by Noah Miller, the CEO of Black Dog LED, and Black Dog has been in the industry for a decade now, if I'm not mistaken, since 2010, which is, in this industry, that's about a century, so I'm excited to have Noah here today. And Noah, if you wouldn't mind, could you give an introduction and, and tell us a little more about yourself and your company? Yeah, certainly. Thanks for having us on, Mike. Um, you know, I've been with Black Dog, uh, I guess you could say I was the first employee that was the founder, and then I was kind of the first actual employee of the company. So about nine years ago, I joined the company, as you pointed out, it's been in business about 10 years. So I joined about a year in or a little less than that. And uh, when I joined, the gentleman who started the company was still in his house, um, kind of real bootstrapped, you know, home business startup. And uh, we've grown from there. So I've been with the company to watch it grow and help it grow for the last nine years. And, you know, Black Dog is still a small privately held company that um, we just, our goal is simple. We want to turn out the best technology possible for cannabis growers. At this point, it is definitely our focus is lights, but we have other things we work on. We do a lot of consulting with our commercial um, cannabis partners. So commercial customers, we found over time they needed help beyond lighting. They would say, hey, cool, I bought these great lights. Now what do I do? And we said, well, there's, there's a lot. You know, lights are just one piece of the puzzle. So we've gotten a little bit more into consulting, and then we have some other products on the side that we're testing and working with um, test customers on to bring those to market as well. But obviously, as you said, Black Dog LED, the focus is the lighting right now. And um, we've been doing that, like you said, for about 10 years, and we're very proud of our lights. We're on about the fourth iteration right now. So we've grown and evolved them over time. And that's been a lot of fun. And obviously, um, you know, being in the cannabis industry is a whole lot of fun. And I would rather be in this industry than anywhere else. And I always say none of us came from the cannabis industry. We've all moved into it if you've been a professional for a while. So all of us come from different backgrounds, different walks of life. And so we've had a chance to experience and, and work in these other industries. And I am very happy to now be in cannabis. I can say that for sure. Great. So now I'm curious to, to learn a little more about what you were doing before cannabis and, and how you ended up getting pulled into the cannabis industry. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a modern career path, right? Like uh, a lot of us, our parents or the generations before us had kind of cradle to grave jobs or um, careers. And a lot of us in the more modern world are, you know, we, we move industries, we have different jobs. And I, I like to think it as different lives. So I've led about three lives prior to my cannabis life uh, professionally. And so I started actually, believe it or not, in the restaurant industry. Um, which obviously with COVID right now, I consider myself lucky not to be in that mess. Um, and I feel for all of them. So I, my undergrad is hotel restaurant management, and that's where I started, um, which gives you a good foundation for doing hard work as about what I would say, a lot of, a lot of hard work in that industry. Um, from there, I moved into IT. So I love technology and I love how it enables businesses to, to go further. Um, that's how I fell in love with it, was working in restaurants and realizing 
that proper use of spreadsheets and accounting and controls, the software allowed you to improve your business both from a customer service standpoint and a profitability standpoint. So I loved technology and wanted to make a pivot into there and I did. Um, I was actually a Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer for those old timers from IT that would know what that is uh, back in the day. And so I worked through that and did a lot of project management in the IT world and uh, software development world. And then from there, I actually moved into more of a business role, consultative. I worked in the natural products industry for about um, eight years. So nutritional supplements, so vitamins and herbal products. Um, really fun industry, a lot like cannabis, exciting new growth industry. And it was a lot of fun to work in. And then strangely enough, before I was in cannabis, I had ended up doing kind of getting pulled into the pharmaceutical world. And I was working on the marketing side of pharmaceutical world for a couple of years before um, cannabis went recreational or adult use in Colorado. And I was in Colorado for training at the time, separate from that, just my own personal development training in Colorado. And I saw the law get voted in. And being a serial entrepreneur, someone who loves businesses, startups, and loves um, nascent or, or new industries, um, I saw an opportunity. I said, no matter what, I'm quitting my job and I will find, I don't know where, but I will find a way into this industry. I was already passionate. I'd been a cannabis user for many years. And I quit my job, moved full time to Colorado, and uh, got into the industry at that point and have never looked back. Wow. So, just to be clear, you quit your job and moved to Colorado before you even had something going on in the industry, just because you were like, this is where I got to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. No question. I had, as soon as I saw it and I knew what it was, I mean, I looked at the law, I saw how it was being written, I saw how they were putting it in the Constitution. I didn't feel it was something that was just going to be a flash in the pan. I saw it really as the beginning. And of course, it wasn't just Colorado. Washington State at the time was, was passing their own law. So it was kind of a little one-two punch there. We saw it all happen, and I knew it was real, and it was going to stick. And I'd been following medical, but I had never lived anywhere where I had access to medical cannabis. I wasn't living in Colorado. I was visiting here. I say I was visiting Colorado 10 years ago for eight weeks and I'm still here. So it was a long visit and I, I stayed basically. I, I didn't, I never left when I saw that law get passed. And yes, I quit my job and, and got involved in the industry as quickly as I could. Amazing. That's fantastic. I love to hear that when, you know, every so often I come across people who just knew that this was their path and their calling and, you know, to make that, to take that risk. I mean, I, I guess for you as a serial entrepreneur, you probably have a higher risk tolerance than most, but you know, it, it always excites me when I hear about people who were just like, I'm doing it and, you know, leave their home, move across the country or whatever to go and pursue cannabis business. I love that. So kudos to you for taking the risk and it seems like it's worked out well for you thus far. Uh, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little more about black dog and the LED space and the lighting space, I, I, I've seen over the years, so many companies pop up and disappear. And so I, I know it's become more and more crowded. And, you know, so to maintain and grow for a decade is, is no easy task. And so I'd just love to hear a little more about the current state of the business and maybe the story of the growth over the past nine years that you've been there and 10 years since it started. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question, Mike. Most people don't recognize the fact um, that um, they know cannabis, but they don't know LED. And clearly, you've done a little bit of looking into it because most people don't realize that, that we say there are more companies that have come and gone in the last nine years I've been a part of Black Dog that I've seen come into the space, 
make a splash or try and make a splash or try and sell some products and then be gone. I've seen more of those companies come and go than exist in the industry today. So to your point, there is a high turnover. Uh, there's a fairly, fairly legitimate attrition rate in that they come in and what we often see is a, a product a company might come in, they think they've designed a decent product or they just bought something off the shelf. They're good at marketing. They, they market it well and they sell it. But then when they start to have problems, whether it's a problem with the design of the fixture or customers not using it properly, they don't know how to support it and they're gone in no time. And that's kind of a shame for the industry because it takes these hardworking individuals, whether they're a commercial grower or a home grower, they've invested in this light or a, a system of lighting and the company's no longer there to support it. And that's a problem. And one of the big things that we're huge on is that support and education, whether it's educating the home grower just how to grow a plant or working with a commercial grower to make them more efficient. We believe that's a huge part. We don't just sell lights. We try and sell solutions. We try and sell answers. And often, you know, one of our foundational questions with a commercial customer is, what do you want to do? And they think, well, I'm just here to grow cannabis. And it's like, no, you could be building a brand. You could be trying to just service and get amazing medicine out there. They're all valid reasons to be doing this, but they're different motivations. So we try to be that solution provider. So there were not one of those companies left on the roadside in the past. And we believe in that relationship building. So a lot of our business is repeat business. Again, whether it's the home, the consumer, which is where we started nine years ago, commercial guys weren't using LEDs. So we built the company on home growers and hobbyists. So we have a lot of respect for them and what they're doing at home. But then of course we sell more and more as commercial has come around and opened themselves to adopting the technology. We've been there to help fill that void as they've been as they've moved into that realm of really wanting to deploy LED in the commercial environment. So we try to, the reason I do believe we're still here and there's all these companies in the LED world that are gone is because we do remain flexible. We don't try and pigeon, pigeonhole ourselves into one area and say, hey, this is what we're gonna be. We say, look, this is what we want to be, but the industry is gonna help us figure out exactly what we're gonna be, what do they need? And again, it's just that ethos of trying to provide solutions and good answers, not just sell stuff. So that's what we're looking at. And the LED market, as you pointed out, is competitive. It's um, much like cannabis. It's, it's somewhat a microcosm of the cannabis industry and in that it has all that fun stuff. I always tell people I get to meet the most interesting people in the world working cannabis, as I'm sure you know, Mike. You, you know, I meet everything from the underground grower who was maybe, you know, literally dropping cannabis from airplanes back in the smuggling days. And now they're, you know, on the legitimate side to new people that have never thought they would get near cannabis. And now they're pivoting into the industry. So you get all walks of life. And the same goes for the LED side. I get to work with all the different areas and different um, kind of types of people that come through the industry and it's, it's incredibly fun. So the LED industry is competitive. Um, and yes, to your point, it, it sometimes feels like it's getting more competitive, but when I feel like that, when I, when I start to feel what you're saying, which it's getting crowded and everyone would prefer to be in an industry that's less competitive and less crowded. But I remind myself, I look back at, you know, all these companies that I've seen come and go. And I remember, look, this is just the name of the game. There's going to be always new people coming in and there'll always be people falling out. And the good companies, we don't mind. We, we don't believe there, there, there's going to be one LED grow light company, right? There's room for a lot of good companies to be doing this because we all have slightly different approaches and there are other good companies out there. And I just like to see good, responsible players come in because you might have heard if you've been looking at this a long time, and I, and I don't know, and I'd like to hear from you how long you've been in the industry, but if you go back in LEDs, they got a really bad rap early on because people were making promises that were completely unfounded by science or the product performance that they knew about. So that sets you up for over-promising and under-delivering, and that's a recipe for disaster, whether we look at it as the LED industry or individual businesses. We've always tried to remain on the side of under-promise, over-deliver, and so yes, 
we might not look as flashy as some of our competitors sometimes, but our customers are happy. And again, getting back to that repeat business, that is a huge part of our businesses. If you tell us what you want, we'll tell you if we can deliver it. And if we say we can, we'll deliver on it. And then guess what? You're going to grow and you're going to need more lights and we'll be there to support you as you move forward and you grow your business and we'll grow along with you. So it's worked out for us thus far. We're here after, as you pointed out, nine, 10 years um, that we're still in the industry while a lot of the companies that were here before or have come and gone over those years are, are in the past and we're, we're still trudging along and, and we enjoy it. It's, it's a lot of fun, but um, it is, uh, it can be trying and the, Biggest challenge, I think, is are, are those companies that come in, try to make a quick hit, sell some things, um, over-promise, under-deliver, and they hurt the industry, both the cannabis side and the credibility side on the LED, because then people say, well, LED is garbage, or they lie, they don't deliver. I'm like, yeah, for sure, I can point you to companies that meet that description, but there are some of us that are responsible and are doing it the right way, and that's, that's how we're going to grow and build a sustainable business and an industry, right, for all of us. Right, right. So I, I hear that. And just to give you a little bit of background, I, you know, in my previous lives, I worked in finance and then also moved into tech uh, and sold social media marketing software at Google back when people were like, social media marketing? What is that? Like, that's a thing? I can't market on social media. So I totally understand the your point about having to educate people about innovative technology and and show them the value of hey i know you're used to doing things a certain way but these led lights are going to be you know better for x y and z reasons i totally get that and you know it, it's funny because to your point i i when i think back i remember i've been in cannabis for six years now you know much to the dismay of my mother i went from finance to tech to cannabis but it's okay um you know i remember a few years ago people would say, oh, LED lights are garbage, you know, it's unreliable, blah, 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 unproven. And now it's essentially the standard, as I understand, like everyone is, well, maybe not everyone, but more and more people are coming to embrace LED and they see that, oh, yes, this is actually the future. This, this is superior. Um, and again, I'm not a grower. I'm not, that's not my expertise. Um, but but I have seen that transition just even anecdotally of the way people who who are in the grow space have have talked about it has shifted over the years. Um, so Noah, I want to ask you, what do you see as the future of cultivation tech and 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 uh, and I want to ask you about cannabis and outside of cannabis as well for controlled environment ag and food production because you know for me learning about cannabis cultivation was a gateway into learning about food production and when I learned about that I was oh boy I was really scared and and was like I need to get involved there so I, I'm I'm curious what your view on that is and how much or how little you pay attention to to cultivation beyond cannabis uh Interesting. Um, yeah, so I'll go into that, the agriculture outside of cannabis. But, um, you know, let's let's look at the beginning of your question of where do I see it going? Because obviously I know kind of the cannabis growth world and we have our roadmap and we get to see into some of the roadmaps out there. So, um, you know, we, we're we big enough at this point, Black Dog and our name is strong enough where we get visited by all the top LED companies. We get access to see kind of what their roadmaps are, what they're willing to share with us. We don't 
see everything, but we get to see kind of a year or two down the road in terms of where LEDs might be going. Um, so there are really two things we look at with regard to LEDs, um, really the, the colors that they're offering, so what kind of spectrum they're offering, because that matters to us, unlike a lot of the LED glow light companies that really focus strictly on efficiency. We're really big believers in taking the plant further, helping it realize its genetic potential through proper use of lights and spectrum. And so we have one of the more complex spectrums in the industry. So we focus a little bit more than the average LED growler company I'd say on color or, or spectrum, if you want to look at it that way, or nanometers or wavelengths. Um, so we look heavily at that, what colors they're offering and what they can offer us. Um, because it's not like we can just say, hey, we want this wavelength. They might not make that because they've been making LEDs forever that are for your house or my house or for your office or for your car. So they make a lot of reds for taillights and that and a lot of whites for headlights or, again, lights for reading or for a warehouse. So they don't do all the colors we want for plants that are kind of useless everywhere else. They're useless for human lighting and they're useless for a lot of applications other than plants. And while you and I might agree, Mike, that, that horticulture and agriculture is incredibly important, we might understand that that's a big part, including indoor con like controlled environment agriculture. But it's really such a small piece of the consumer market for LEDs that we don't control much. So we kind of have to take what's available. So we are always looking down the road and we get access to that. So looking at the tech that's coming down the road, if we kind of fast forward a couple of years and try to look into a crystal ball, I'd say if you're asking where the tech's going, separate from IT, but strictly from an LED side, is going to be efficiency and the colors available to us. That's it. Longevity is pretty much there. Um, it will continue to improve, but that's a lot. If I buy an LED and you, Mike, had your own LED grow light company, we both bought the same LEDs off the shelf, how we then build a fixture around those will affect the longevity of that LED. So that's kind of up to the manufacturer to engineer their product so that it treats the LED in a way that it will last you let's say as a grower buying it you're making a major investment we want to make sure that investment lasts so that's where it's up to the who you're buying the the led grow light from um that will dictate kind of how long that lasts so there's longevity they're already they already last long enough let's say the leds so we're not as concerned there where we're really concerned is again that color and then the efficiency and when i'm talking about efficiency with ellie with regard to leds everything else aside for a moment I'm always speaking about basically the conversion of energy. So whether we look at it as joules of energy or watts of input, you know, on the electrical side. So we're putting energy into a fixture and we're trying to get, we're going to get energy out. It's either going to come out in the form of light, um, light energy, photons, or it's going to come out in the form of waste heat. If that's the inefficient side of the spectrum or of, of the fixture, right? So we're always looking to increase the amount of light output and decrease the amount of wasted heat. And so that's uh, how we engineer our fixture. Uh, that has to do with how we engineer our drivers or if a lot of them buy them off the shelf we custom design our own drivers but you can buy your drivers off the shelf so what you're buying is their efficiency electrical efficiency all electrical devices have an efficiency and then on top of that the leds of course how efficient they are converting watts to to photons so we're looking to always become more efficient why because that is yield um unlike a lot of other things that might be harder to peg to so if you and I are talking nutrients, let's say, um, that I'm going to feed my plants, we could say, well, if I make the nutrient a little better, I add a little bit more of this or a little bit of that micronutrient or that macronutrient, it might be hard to really peg a, um, an increase in either quality or yield against your crop. In lighting, if I give you, suddenly I say, hey, look, I got these new LEDs, new tech, it's just coming out, they're 10% more efficient, I'm going to give you 10% more photons. I was giving you 100 photons per watt. I'm going to give you now 110 watt, watt, photons per watt of input. So I'm going to give you 10% more of extra photons. That should translate 
fairly straightforward to about a 10% increase, not exact, but it's fairly correlative. So it's really nice if we can increase efficiency, what we're doing for our customers is giving them more money, more profitability, more revenue for input. So their input is their dollars to buy the lights and then dollars to drive the fixtures with the power. And we're trying to give them more output, more yield at the other end, side of that equation, right? And so that's the, the reason we want to improve efficiency. And that's really where we want to see the um, future of LEDs to continue to push down that efficiency curve. As I spoke to a little bit though before, we do care about spectrum. So not only are photons going to make it more efficient, but us continuing to improve our spectrum and continue to push the envelope of the most perfect spectrum we can doctor up, um, that will increase the efficiency of, of turning again. Now, if I give you 110 photons, but I give you a better mix of those photons, so we like to say, oh, photons are not created equal. There's red, green, yellow, these different colors, right? Or at least that's how us humans perceive them, but they're basically wavelengths of photons. And if I give you those in a more digestible fashion, if we want to think about, again, drawing from my past in the natural products industry, I could give you two different forms of vitamin C. One might be highly more absorbable, or as they say, bioavailable to you. Same thing with photons. If I give a plant different types of photons, I give it 110 of these photons, 110 of these, I can show that those are going to do different things. One might uh, drive or generate photosynthesis more effectively. So I'm going to, you're going to get more out of those photons. And then also I might try to affect plant morphology, which is something we're big on at Black Dog, where we're going to try and help you create the plant you want. So instead of telling your plant to stretch and go tall, which we don't want indoors, outdoors that's not as big of a problem, but indoors it is, we can play with the spectrum to affect plant morphology and give you a shorter plant or a squatter plant or one that yields better or what. So again, the spectrum matters to us along with efficiency. So when we talk about lights, we like to look at it as two things, spectrum and power. So what are we doing with the spectrum? What's the quality of the photons we're giving you? And then also, yeah, just how many photons are we giving you? That's what we're constantly driving towards and that's where we, we look to see the technology help us evolve even further. Beyond that, yes, there are little bells and whistles and things we're adding and we'll continue to add but those are smaller, what I'd call maybe evolutionary gains versus revolutionary gains where we're really trying to increase efficiency. Because again, you might love the industry, a grower might love the industry like I do and like a lot of us do, but we're still in it to make money. We're not just doing this only for the good of the planet or the good of the people that are consuming our product. So yes, we do want to make money and we're, we're trying to help our customers become more profitable and more efficient. So that's where the industry is going or where I'd like to see the specific LED industry. If you want to talk about IT, that's my underlying passion um, in technology, and we can talk about that all day. But to summarize there where we want to see it go is, yeah, where you hit the nail on the head, obviously, and I, I don't know if you know our, our, what we're working on the background, but it sounds like you do, is that we're really working on that stuff is, is a controlled environment, right? So um, what we can do to help control the environment. So we were just talking about light and spectrum. That's part of the controlled environment. I'm hitting it with a controlled light source. But as you were talking about, there's temperature, humidity, all these other variables. And light is just one part of that equation, right? So for us, the ability to go ahead and do that and, and actually create um, a better environment, that's important to us. So we are working with our background. We're heavy background on the IT world um, and the technology world in general, myself and my partner, Kevin. And so, yeah, that is an arena we will push heavily into in the future, um, going into uh, better control of the environment, better monitoring the environment, microcontrols. And um, where all of this kind of comes together in the last part of your question with regard to agriculture, 
indoor controlled agriculture, whether it's in a greenhouse where they still might need lights or in a completely sealed environment with, uh, with artificial light only, um, where our lights work, we, you know, we say our lights are designed for cannabis, and they are. What they're really focused at a bit, I would say, though, if you want to really dig into the deep nitty gritty of the agriculture or, or the horticultural side of it, um, they're really, our lights are really lend themselves well to anything you're using, you're trying to grow, where you're trying to produce fruit or flowers. Obviously, in cannabis, we're trying to produce flowers. So what do I mean there? Our lights are not the best light in the world if you're growing lettuce. Our lights are not the best light in the world if you're growing celery. But if you're growing tomatoes or peppers or cannabis, our lights lend themselves very well to that. Yes, there's a few things that are heavily focused towards cannabis, but in general, 95% of our light design would work well for those other controlled indoor crops where they're trying to get a fruit or a flower off the product, off of their whatever they're growing in their environment. So um, we would like to look at that, but right now as a company, we remain pretty much 100% focused on cannabis. We do sell our lights to a number of universities for research, for horticultural work, um, but that's a very small part of our business. Universities just don't make up that large part of a, of a purchasing segment. But we do sell to universities. We've sold to the U.S. government, U.S. Department of Agriculture. We've sold to a few different environments. But again, I'd say 98, 99% of our business remains cannabis. And that's where we're very happy to stay focused for the time being. Cool. Amazing. So I'm very curious if you could share maybe a fun fact or something that most people wouldn't know as far as, you know, I, th I think the word you used was plant morphology, which I think sounds super cool. I'm, I'm so curious to, to hear more about that, but maybe a fun fact about something that you can do to a cannabis plant through controlled lighting or through changing the, the spectrum or, or, you know, you, you gave a few examples, but I'm wondering if you could just give up like a, you know, a fun nugget that, most people wouldn't know unless they're really, uh, you know, in depth on, on the grow tech side. Um, I will give one that I, I, we like education and we like to explain, not just throwing facts out, but explaining why, because I think that's the fascinating part. We live in this intertwined world of us and plants and all that. So let's give you an example that I can tie to something real. So if you're a plant, there's something called the shade avoidance response. Okay. Um, and so, um, in the shade avoidance response, if you're a plant out in nature and you imagine you look up and you see a blue sky, right? We're really seeing a lot of blue. It's the minute you have a plant over you, light gets filtered. Now, when you're in a forest or a jungle, you know there's still light that makes it through the canopy, even though there's a canopy above you. That light is filtered through other leaves. As you move through the spectrum, so if we all remember back from, you know, maybe grade school or high school, depending on when you learned Roy G. Biv, the rainbow, on the high energetic side, we've got ultraviolet, which if you go far enough, can give us cancer and even kill us. And then on the further side, it goes into red and then infrared, which is heat lamps that are going to keep your burger warm at McDonald's sitting under a heat lamp. So that's the edges of the visible spectrum. The higher energy, if you think of it that way, as it moves through the plants, whether it's blue or ultraviolet, it's going to filter through and it's going to drop energy. And so it's going to move more towards the red. So if you start to think of it like that, okay, as things move through a canopy and if I've got shade above me, I have no plant and I've got something filtering white, I'm going to see more red, less blue because it's filtering because that blue is being stolen as it's passing through the canopy. So over time, millions of years, plants evolve to have what's, what we call the shade avoidance response. And what it does is when they see colors, their spectrum, they say, hey, I'm getting these colors. They don't have eyeballs, but they do have sensors. They can say, I'm getting not a lot of blue, I'm getting more red. Something must be above me. 
So they're going to naturally, now they don't look up and see a plant above them, but because of this response, they can see that or feel that, and they're going to then divert energy towards growing vertically. They're not gonna grow out and turn into a bush. They're gonna try and grow vertically. Why? To outcompete that which is above them because their food source to a degree is not just what they get through their roots, but what they're getting through their leaves through the photosynthetic process. And so they're gonna try and outgrow that whatever's above them. They don't know what's above them. They don't know why, they just know they need to grow taller. So we steal and hijack that and say, okay, in a grow environment, if we properly balance the colors, plants will feel I am getting all the light I want. I can basically see blue, clear sky above me. I'm gonna focus my energy on growing out, growing a bushier plant, a more solid, robust plant. Or if I'm in flower mode, I'm not gonna try and grow up and waste energy towards elongating my stems. I'm going to put um, energy into production of flowers, which is what I think all of us want. Unless I'm growing industrial hemp for fiber, which is a different game and we can talk about that separately. But assuming we're cultivating for flowers, this is a good thing. So we take and work with that response that is built into pretty much every plant in the world, not just cannabis, and we work with that response. And there are a lot of different things we can take advantage of. This is when we look at and say, okay, if we know that changing the spectrum can do this, we can affect how your plant grows, getting back to the plant morphology. So we're not, we're not geniuses that we understood or learned about the shade of orange response. Yes, we kind of taught ourselves about all that stuff, but we're trying to take advantage of all this great research that people have done in front of us that we can then stand on top of the research and hopefully take it further. And we're taking that research and saying, how can we deploy that to indoor grows? Because a lot of this research was done with no thought towards cannabis, certainly much less indoor grow environments. And we're saying with this information that's all available to us out there, and now with this new technology that's available with these LEDs, if we can mash those two together, we could do some interesting things. So the shade avoidance response is one of many, and that's something we look at. And by really understanding how that works, and it's a fairly complex, but once you really understand it, you can then use that to start to affect how the plant's going to grow. And that is good for us and good for our customers. So by balancing the blue and red appropriately, and there are different blues and reds inside of that statement, um, we can do this and grow shorter, stockier, more productive, happier, healthier, stronger plants, essentially. So hope that answers that one. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And I just love hearing about how smart the cannabis plant is and, and how, how great plants are in general. They're just so cool. I just, yeah. they, they constantly amaze me. So thank you for that, for that lesson. I want to shift gears a bit and ask you, what are you most excited about in the cannabis world right now? Um, I'm most excited about that, which I'm also most afraid of, and that's um, federal legalization. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I like, you know, your interview, you're going very broad, you're covering a lot of things. So let's, let's broaden beyond LED lighting and all that. And even the, and even just the cultivation side, let's look at the whole industry holistically and say, you know, I think you and I both have a lot of these discussions. People say, oh, it's going to go federal, it's going to go legal. And I would say, look, when I first got in the industry, I was in that same conversation. Oh, it'll go federally legal here because of this or that. And I've come over to many years now, um, come to the realization that that's kind of a, a very basic discussion to have. And I don't know if there's probably a better word to insert there. Basic in that if we just say it's going to be federally legalized, I think you and I can agree, Mike, it will become federally legalized at some point. Now, if I say to you, Mike, what does that look like? That's where I start to think the conversation gets more interesting. Because now when people say to me, I'm like, cool, you think it's going to be legalized in the next year? That's an interesting statement. Uh, let's say I agree with you on that. 
put that aside. Let's say your timeline is to the day spot on. That still tells me nothing because what does that mean? Because I did work in natural products. I did spend a little bit of time in pharma. I understand how that regulation works. I understand kind of the lay of the land to some degree. And I will say it's complex and that's not cannabis. Cannabis is way more complex. We're, we're very complex in how we have to work in these different state markets. We've got the feds to compete with. It's a very complex um, webbing we all have to deal with here. So when people say it's gonna be legalized in the next year, I like to say, cool, let's have an interesting discussion about that. What does that mean? What does that look like to you? Let's go fast forward one year and now it's legalized. Your timeline's correct. What does that look like? Now, if I asked you, Mike, and I said, you probably have a timeline of which you believe cannabis might be legalized, rescheduled, whatever. But again, already looking at descheduling or rescheduling it, we're starting to have to have that discussion of what does this look like? Because look, if they suddenly federally legalize it, I'm like, cool, who's going to oversee that at the federal level? Because people say, great, it's going to be legalized. They're not going to, look, there's nobody that's really in this industry that believes they're going to just open it up and take the cuffs off and say, here you go, have fun, free reign. They're going to stick their fingers in. They're going to want their pound of flesh. They're going to want their money just like the states do. They're going to want to piggyback on everything all of us are doing to build this industry up. So that's fine. But how does that start to look? Are, you, are we going to have the ATF on our backs? Are we going to have the FDA on our backs? You know, who is it that we're going to be answering to suddenly in the cannabis world? We all answer to the states and the banks and a lot of stuff we have to do. But suddenly you're going to have a whole new organization because in some ways it's nice. The feds, it's kind of a don't ask, don't tell. They're like, look, you're in your state, do your thing. We're kind of off your back. Yes, the IRS gets pretty heavily involved already, which isn't pretty, um, but that's already there. It's not going to get better. You know, everyone hates 280, all these problems we have, that will get worse with legalization. So I'm not saying I don't want legalization, but I think we all do a disservice when we say, hey, it's going to be legalized federally in this time frame. I'm like, that can mean so many different things. And in many cases, I don't want, I don't like how that could look. Now, there are a lot of ways they could roll it out that are interesting and beneficial and could be good for the, the industry. Whether we're looking at social equity or looking at access to banking, all these things are important to us, but how we do this and how we roll this out will be different. A, a good example is, look, my, I mean, you probably have looked at the different states. You know there's really this just patchwork you know, of, of different regulations out there. Some states have done an amazing job fostering and growing the industry, and some have done just a piss poor job, to be honest. So the government, federal government's going to land somewhere on that continuum, right? It'll be great, or it'll be horrible. Now, most of us in the industry, I'm going to say we come from a walk of life where we are going to lean towards, it's probably going to be horrible uh, to some degree, and hopefully we'll fix it. We're, and I don't think any of us hold out hope that it's going to be, we're going to hit some panacea of great legalization on a federal level that we're happy with. Hopefully we can get it there. And some, again, looking at the state level, because we can look at each of those as their own experiments and legalization. Some of them have started out poor and gotten better, and some have started out good and actually gone the wrong direction, in my own opinion, not necessarily a fact, just my opinion. And so uh, who knows where the feds are going to be on that continuum, how they're going to come out, and where they'll go from there. So I'm very much looking forward to that, and I'm also very fearful of it for a lot of reasons. Is I like our industry. I love our industry in many ways. and um, I don't want the feds mucking it up in some ways, but I do think we have to go there eventually. And hopefully it's on the better side of that continuum versus the worst. But again, with all of our background, I'm sure none of us hold out very credibly high hope for a current government to do a good job of, of changing the legalization. So how do you feel about that though, Mike? You know, it's a long answer to your, to your question about what I fear, but it's also what I look forward to. How do you feel about federal legalization? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing your thoughts on that. And I, I think, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you where 
I don't think it's going to happen in a year. I think, you know, my timeline, given the current, you know, election that's coming up and who might be president, I don't really see either of them doing it. Um, so I would say we're five to 10 years away today. Um, and to your point, like, you know, I, I grew up in a Soviet immigrant household with a healthy distrust of government already, but especially in the last few years, seeing what's going on, and especially with how, you know, the whole COVID thing has been handled, I have very little confidence that, well, actually, no, let me flip that around. I have a high degree of confidence that they're going to mess it up in a major way. Like, I, I would be shocked if they did a good job or even anything close to a good job. So I, I have, uh, you know, I can't say I'm very excited about it because it feels to me very far away. And I'm, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I've, my business is based in New York. I've been waiting for New York to happen. And just even seeing that progress, and I use that, that word with a big grain of salt, um, I, I, I feel like, you know, we have in New York, one of the worst medical programs in the country, in, in my opinion, just super restrictive. You know, cannabis has been named essential, something that we already know, this is an essential plant for health and wellness. And yet, millions of New Yorkers still can't get access to through the legal market, which is okay, you know, people find ways, whatever. Um, but I, I just have very, a very pessimistic view on what the government will do both. You know, I, I think, look, uh, I, I'll say this, I'm sure they're going to be great at finding a way to tax it and put their hands in everyone's pockets because that's what they're good at. That's their job, essentially. And I think they're going to do a less than stellar job and less than adequate job likely on the things that I believe matter the most, which are restorative social justice, which is generally not their top priority, and access uh, for medical patients, which, you know, if veterans st are still struggling to get access when, you know, it's so clear that this is such a great remedy for PTSD. And, you know, when you look at all the barriers we still have, just to even research the plant in the year 2020, it's, it's just mind blowing. So I'm very not optimistic. And I, I also, you know, the one thing that gives me uh, this is going to sound a little cruel, maybe, but what gives me some excitement about federal legalization happening, whenever that may be, is I know that many businesses won't survive it. And I know that a lot of people will, will, you know, it, I, I view that it'll be like a big reset on the industry. And a lot of people won't make it. And I feel pretty good that I will. And I feel pretty good that I have relationships with people that will make it through that change. And, and, and so, you know, when I, one of the things I say in my book is you have to take a long-term approach here. And I, I'm fortunate that, you know, I, I got involved in the industry when I was in my mid twenties. And w when I started, I said to myself, all right, I'm going to do this for 50 years, God willing. And so, you know, when I think five years ahead, the whole, maybe 10 years, I'm like, wow, by then I'll actually 
be much smarter and much more experienced than I am today. So I'll be much more capable to take advantage of that opportunity. So that's exciting. And I, I when I think of, I also, uh, what's exciting about that is also, you know, to, to be a little more positive. <laughs> uh, I think there's still a lot of people on the sidelines who are like laggards, who are not really taking the business or the industry or even the plant seriously. And I think once federal legalization and there's more international trade and all this stuff happens, then it's really going to be super mainstream. And I think we're going to see even more people that are going to seek out connection and education around the plant. And I feel like, boy, by the time that comes around, I'll be in a great position to help those people and to be a resource for a lot of people and, and have positive impact and, and make some money along the way. So I, I think it's exciting, but it's really something that for me personally in my business and in, in my day to day, I, I don't even think about it. It's kind of like a fairy tale. Like, you know, for me, it's like, I'm going to, oh, thankfully my girlfriend doesn't listen to my show. To me, it's like, it's like, uh, like having kids, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's like a far off distant fantasy almost even. <laughs> I got to stop there before I get in trouble. No, I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just my, my two cents. Yeah, no, it is interesting, right? And, and, and I'm with you. I, I think you, you said it well when you said, you know, I'm just, I'm not optimistic um, in, in that. Now, I, I would say, I, I don't want, and I don't say I don't want, I'm, I'm very apprehensive about pushing for federal legalization for all the reasons you just stated, basically everything you just said. Um, one thing I wish they would do, and I do, that gives me some hope, is, for example, they put it into one of these other relief bills and it's, it's stalled out in the Senate, but get the darn safe banking act through because look, that's not federal legalization, but it, it, it does help our industry and in that it, it makes it safer for our people that are operating on the end of the supply chain where they're dealing with customers and cash and they're, they're at risk because they have to handle all this cash. That's not fair to them because our, our politicians can't get off their butt and get this done. They're literally physically in harm's way because of that. And that's just not right on, on many levels. And also um, even myself, people are like, really, you have, you're a lighting company. People don't realize how that is. Even as a lighting company, it is hard for us to get access to capital, to get access to money. If I was not involved in cannabis and I showed off my books to a bank, normally they'd, they'd be tripping over themselves to give me loans because they know it's a solid business, you know, good, solid foundation, all that. However, just because we sell, now we don't sell an ounce of cannabis, a gram of cannabis, but we sell and get our money from the cannabis industry we are ostracized because of that to some degree. We've been kicked out of banks. We've been booted from credit card processing companies. Now, yes, it has gotten better in nine years, no question about it, but it is still like living in the dark ages. And so I hold out hope that we can do at least maybe some of these stutter steps or some of these, these kind of little steps that we can do to make the industry better, safer, um, more self-sustaining, just better in a lot of ways uh, if they would do some of these just had fundamentally good things and I, I just it boggles my mind we haven't done it because i'm like what politician doesn't want um us to have better tracking of the cash if you're concerned about money being diverted let's do the safe banking act let us bank better you'll be able to track money better because we don't have to move cash around which is untraceable let's move more money through the system instead of behind the scenes so it's it's a challenge and, and i i do hold out hope that they can maybe help us by doing some of those full-blown legalization does scare me but hopefully they can make some of these smarter um small steps along the way though 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I just want to add one thing is from what I've seen in the past few years, it's like once legalization happens in a state, it only gets stricter from then on generally, you know, and, and so I, I don't subscribe to the somewhat popular belief that let's just get the bill passed. Let's get, let's get a system going, you know, cause that's a big win. Uh, like I, I disagree because I think it's important to get a good regulatory framework in place from the get go, because like the legislators, the lawmakers, they don't want to have to deal with it again. They want to say, oh, I did it. I, I did that. I, I, I checked the box. I got that win onto the next issue, onto the next election. And, you know, often then the regulators just come in and tighten the screws. And so I, I think it's really important not to rush. Um, and I, I think it's, it's I, I've seen all too often that activists and advocates and entrepreneurs who are just, you know, wanting to make money and wanting to be able to participate in, in a regulated industry, you know, that they're seduced by the, the, the promise of legalization. And often it, it, they, they sacrifice like the integrity of the program just to get something done. And I think that that's really, really short-sighted and, and it's almost like uh, shooting ourselves in the foot because once that program passes, whether no matter how good or bad it is, it usually only gets tighter and and so I, I don't know. I think it's really important when we talk about federal that like, I don't think, look, uh, don't get me wrong. I have, I think this urgently needs a solution. And I, I, I think the problem is important and urgent. And I also realize that, look, the, the government moves slowly and this isn't the time to rush, right? Because we're only going to have one chance to get it to 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 flip that switch so when we do it let's let's make sure we have you know full spectrum highly efficient led lighting when that switch flips instead of like you know a hundred year old kerosene lamp that's gonna end up hurting people and leaking gas or whatever like giving people birth defects or i, I don't know i'm this is a crazy metaphor that i need to end so <laughs> i'm gonna I, I want to change topics. I want to, I want to ask you, um, I want to ask you what advice you have for people who are just looking at getting into the cannabis business or getting into cannabis growing, whether it's on a commercial scale or home grow. And actually, personally, I'm curious what advice you have for home growers because uh, I, I'm a big proponent of everyone grow your own. I had Danny Danko on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he he's a huge champion of that. And it was just like, everyone, you know, outgrow the government or overgrow the government and make make farming sexy, make farming cool. And so, uh, you know, for the folks that might be listening that that are considering home growing or or a personal garden, a victory garden, I I, I want to ask so two questions: What tips do you have for them? And then also, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs or investors who are coming into the industry? Yeah, those are two things that are very near and dear to my heart, actually. So great questions, Mike. Um, let's start 
like you said, with the, with the home grower, because uh, that's, again, where we started as a company. We wouldn't be here without the home grower, to be perfectly honest. So we have the utmost respect and love for those people that are doing it at home. Um, I would, at the fundamental level, I'd agree with what you just said. Every, in my opinion, everybody should have a cannabis plant in their house, right? Like the, the, it's a good, healthy plant to have around and it does change out a good amount of air. It's clean, it's gonna help clean your air. And then it's a nice byproduct of flower, you know, out of it. So everyone should grow. Um, and, and I do say there's something to be said on a, from a few levels, harvesting your own, there's something to be said, just like if you've ever had your own vegetable garden, eating your own vegetables, no matter what, tastes better than something you bought from the store. I don't care. It just does. Uh, same thing with cannabis, something you grew, you knew, but then also you have the peace of mind and not to say there are a lot of great operators, but there's still some not so great operators, still some questionable practices going on and some things that are, we don't know if they're safe or not. So people will do them in rows. And we're not sure they are. If you grow it yourself, you can 100% control what's going into your crop. Um, so there is a massive advantage to growing yourself. And then also, if you have a certain strain you want, of course, certain people that need it for medicine, um, certain strains they might want that have certain efficacy against whatever they're fighting, that, that's a huge argument there is I can grow exactly what I want and, versus the store that might run out of there and might not have it. So first off, there's a lot of good reasons to grow yourself at home. Um, the challenge is, as we know, as we've been talking about, this all comes from underground. And the, the flow of information is still horrible if you look at other industries that you and myself have participated in. You know, if I, wanna, if I was in, let's say, natural products or I was in, let's say, restaurant industry and I wanted to learn about the industry or learn about best practices, I could go out and actually find, sometimes free, sometimes pay for it, but I could go find good, reliable information. That is not the case in cannabis still. You still have a lot of underground information that is just flat out wrong and misleading. Um, also with growing plants, as my partner Kevin, who's much more knowledgeable and educated on the plant and grow side than myself, he would always try and drive home with people, look, you can find a lot of good advice in this system to grow this way, and then another system for growing here. They both might be very good systems for growing. But if you take some of the things from here and some of them from here and you combine them, you don't know that you're actually killing yourself and you're, you're gonna have a complete crop failure, whereas both of these on their own stand alone just fine. So you can't even mix and match different methods. A lot of, you know, horticulture has been done for thousands of years, for eons, right? We've, people have been growing forever for not just cannabis, but obviously agricultural products. And so there's a lot of really good um, knowledge that's been passed on through generations. And now in the agricultural industry, it's taught in universities and you can get that in. Cannabis a little, we don't have that quite yet, but we're getting there. But there is a lot of great information in ag. In cannabis, we need to get there as well. We are huge proponents of, of education. We, I would say, so this is not self-serving and that we don't make any money. I will tell you, even if you don't believe in our lights, you might not agree with all of our green, or agree with all of our growing methodologies. However, we put a lot of free information out there. No paywalls, no nothing. We are huge. We're like, look, if you can follow our stuff and learn from it, and you don't buy our products, we don't care. Great. If you're going to go grow cannabis, our, our videos are worthwhile to us in that regard alone. Yes, if you use our lights, great. And you might get a little bit more out of them if you're following our using the products we use. But there's just great information that we try to provide uh, to our customers and to anyone that wants to view it. So on our site, for example, we have blackdogled.com slash videos. Um, and in there we, we went, yes, they're all available on YouTube, but we got tired of after we had over 100 videos, it's hard to find what you want. And all we want is people to get information. So we started cataloging them by topic. So if you want to learn about topping or about feeding with nutrients or cloning, we have videos on that and you can find it. And again, it's free. We just want to get good, reliable information out there because that is a problem in our industry. So the home grower, I would say, educate yourself. Um, 
doesn't have to be from us, but make sure you're getting it from a good, reliable source. Because I can go out there on the internet, search for cannabis information, and even if it's on some of the magazines out there and, and online sites that look legitimate, I can show you stuff that is just patently wrong, just wrong. And, and, like, and it's not because I'm smart enough to figure it out. It's because I can show you good research that proves that's wrong and or I've done it myself and had complete failures and I know why. So there's a lot of bad information or misinformation out there. So just make sure you have a good, reliable source and then don't try to cross-pollinate. Yes, you can learn from different sources, but make sure if you're going to grab one best practice, you can't necessarily combine it with another very good practice and have results. So you just need to understand what you're doing. We like to say don't get the mad scientist mentality going until you're more educated and growing. Make sure you're doing things following a system. And then as you become better, you can start to play around and fiddle and be yourself innovate in your own garden but at first get some good information to follow it so we're really big on the home growth so those videos are out there so now we'll do a little plug and i'll be honest this is we had a problem where we'd get a home grower that was real enthusiastic they're like hey we had medical or retco in our state you know this is they're like as you were saying you know they're in one of those states and they never had access before suddenly they do and they would have never grown cannabis but they're like well it's legal i'm going to grow cannabis i've always wanted to so now they contact us and we spend an hour on the phone with them walking them through lighting and what they should buy. Oh, this is what you're trying to accomplish. Don't buy that's too big or that's too small. Here's the right light for you. Here's what you need to do. Spend all that time. They're like, great. What else do I need? And you're like, oh, that is such a loaded question. There's, yes, lights are incredibly important. And we'll talk till we're blue in the face about them. But they are, that is, again, just one part of the puzzle. There's so much more you need. So years and years ago, when we started selling lights to consumers and we said, hey, that's not good. We don't want to just sell you a light and have you fail. You're making an investment. So what we did is we said, we need to create a solution for them. So we spent years developing our LED grow light kits where we say, look, if you're a new gardener, if you're not a new gardener, don't look at them because you have gear. But if you've got nothing, absolutely nothing, you could go buy one of these kits and it has everything except the seed, the soil, and the nutrients. And it is, a, we call it the No Home Depot kit because it comes with even all the outlet plugs that you need because we know you're home growing, you're going to have one outlet, we need to get everything plugged into there safely. So we provide all of that stuff, not just the light and the fan and the tent, but everything you need to basically unpack this and get growing. All you need to do is get soil, seed, and, and nutrients. So we do provide that as well. But again, if you don't buy that or you don't agree with that or the equipment we have, great, still enjoy our videos and try and learn something. So the advice I'd give to them is get good information and make sure you have the right gear and set yourself up for success because it is hard to grow indoors well. It is not simple to do well and it takes experience and don't get frustrated. I'll tell you right now, a lot of people, their first harvest, they get nothing usable out of it. You're gonna take, have some failures. Um, killing plants is a good educational tool. So don't feel bad if you kill your plants. So in any case, home growers get good information and get good gear, and we try to support that by having our LED grow light kits and, like I said, our videos both on YouTube and social media. And we're constantly trying to put out new videos, anything people want to learn about, and, and that's what we're committed to is educating, whether it's the commercial or home grower. So that's my answer to the home grower, and then somebody wants to get in is educate yourself, learn, don't get bogged down too much, find one good source of information, get what you can out of it and start growing and start learning because you can only do so much from reading. You have to get your hands dirty per se, get into the soil and start playing. Um, the only other piece, let's throw one single solitary piece of advice I'd give to a beginning grower is hydroponics might sound interesting and it is a very cool growing methodology. I would always recommend you start with soil um, for a lot of reasons we don't need to necessarily go into, but it's basically, you know, crawl, crawl before you walk, walk before you run, 
um, start with something more basic. You can definitely evolve into hydroponic mediums and hydroponic systems. They cost more to get started. They're more complex. There's more moving parts, and they're less resilient. Soil is resilient, and hydro, you can kill your plants quickly. So love hydro, but I would tell anyone who's never grown indoors before, consider starting with soil if you can. You're going to spend less, uh, need to buy less parts to start, and you'll probably have a chance, a better chance of not killing your plants the first time through. So that would be my little bit of home grow uh, advice, I guess, for the, the, the novice or the new home grower. Commercially, that is, as you and I both know, Mike, that's a huge, you know, can of worms to be like, if somebody comes to me and they say, I want to get involved in cannabis, I'd say, cool, just like the legalization discussion we're having, like, what, what, what does that mean? Because there are so many cool places to get involved. I, I, I happen to be in lighting, but there are a lot of industries, parts of the industry that I'm interested in, and there are some parts I'm not. I'm not a good marketer retailer. I'm not good at merchandising. I don't want to own a retail store where I'm trying to sell products to the end consumer. There are people that are great at that and should do that. So there are different parts of the industry that uh, all of us have different skills that play into. Now, if we're looking at cultivation, and we're going to, you and I boil this down and say, if somebody wants to get in the industry and they want to do cultivation, then my advice to them is, first off, pick your state carefully. As we were talking about, there's different laws, right? Some states, I think, are more amenable to having a good business that uh, gives you a good foundation and works with you. And there are some states that are less um, less desirable to, I think, open a cannabis business. In. So if you can pick your state you're willing to move or pick what state laws you want to run under, I would say that's number one is figure out where you want to do it. And then um, start to learn the industry. But it is not for the faint of heart. It requires skill and a lot of knowledge. And, um, you know, if we talk about kind of later on professional development, one thing I think you could probably lean into a bit, Mike, is, Understand that you're not going to build Rome alone. If you're going to build something big, you need a team of people. You need different skill sets, different expertise, um, really put together a team. The most successful, and I get to watch as a vendor for these these grows, I get to watch a lot of grows come up. And most of ours that we get to work with, I like that they succeed because we try to help them. But the ones that I see succeed versus fail are the ones that have a good team. The, the, the team is everything because I can – Look, I can find you good gear. If you say to me, hey, Noah, set up, we want consulting as well. Set up a whole grow for us. Great, we can do that. We'll give you the best gear in the world. We can make sure you have all the gear that I can show you grows. I'm making a lot of money being very productive and profitable with. That does not mean you will be profitable and be successful. I'm just giving you the tools. You have to know how to use them. You have to have the right people to deploy them. So to me, the wild card always when I get involved in a commercial grow and helping them I tell them, look, I can, I can get you the right setup. I can help you do the layout. I can get you the right equipment. I can help you even source genetics. I can help you find everything you need. The hardest part, the biggest wild card, are the human resources, are the people that make your grow work. You can automate, sure. Yes, we could talk automation all day. These are living things. Plants still need people to take care of them. You can't get away from that. And the human resource side of it is probably the biggest wild card on the cultivation side, you know, in different parts of the industry, it would probably be different. But on the cultivation side, I see places do well that have good teams and people that don't have good or groups don't have good teams. I see them struggle. So um, that, that to me is a big part of it because you can find people like us that can have been doing this long enough that we can quickly bring to bear a lot of expertise. But we can't fix bad with human resource problems that I can't fix for you. So, yeah, there you go. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, what do I do in the cannabis industry? And I joke that I'm in cultivation. And then, you know, obviously they get super excited. They're like, oh, you grow plants. I said, no, 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 I, I grow the people. I cultivate cannabis leaders. I help cannabis leaders to grow. 
And so I, I love that your answer affirms for me that what I do is important and necessary. And ultimately at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I agree with you is that, look, at the end of the day, we're all people. Well, whether you're an executive or an intern or a trimmer or a master grower, any, anyone in between, you're still a human being. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I think sometimes people lose sight of that, which, you know, and it's, it's just a plant and we're just humans and we should all get along together. So that, that's my story, Mike Z for president 2024. Um, just kidding. Um, but on that note, no, I want to shift gears into the coaching portion and so you said you had a doozy for me, so I'm, I'm a little excited and nervous, but tell me, what's, what's your biggest business challenge today or roadblock? I, I don't know if it's a doozy, and you'll, you'll probably bored with it because it's a question I'm sure you've gotten. It's the kind of the, the standard growth question as a serial entrepreneur. It's a challenge I always face in different industries and across different um, companies is the growth, right? So, um, you know, as a CEO of the company, when it started, there were two of us. You know, now there's a lot more than two of us. But I'd say the challenge I constantly face is um, I don't like to micromanage and I need to hand things off. And so from a professional development standpoint, again, I know you've answered this questions a lot of times and I'm guessing a lot of different ways. But if I asked you for the best advice you could give in trying to get over the hurdle, and I find as with a lot of things in business, it starts and fits and it starts and stops and it's fast and slow and there's kind of rains and pours and then there's dry spells in terms of growth. Um, so I find that you, you can hit certain periods where it's growth seems easy. Then you sort of get to a person this and you're, you're here and you know to get there, there's, it seems like you're up against the wall again to have that next level of growth. And so finding good people, cultivating them, as you said, which I like that, um, you know, cultivating those resources, those people. Um, you know, I always want an employee. I, I, I know as we were speaking about earlier, you know, we don't do cradle to grave, we move industries, we move jobs. So I don't anticipate anyone staying with us forever, but I believe every employee that comes in should leave better off than when they joined the company um, with new skills. So I want the people to grow both for the good of the company and themselves. And how do you go about advising people on really, um, I don't know if, I, I, and I don't want to use this in the wrong way, streamlining that process of taking people, growing them, giving them the confidence and the ability to move forward and do it. I, I, you know, I've got people that I work with in our company that I know don't have enough, they're, they're better than they realize. They could do this stuff and sometimes they're just scared. And then you also have the other side of the coin, the people that are breakneck that are moving too fast for their own good and they're just doing a trip and that's fine. They'll, they'll correct themselves. Uh, but how do you kind of get over those hurdles and move, grow the company? So get rid of responsibilities or, you know, once I get rid of responsibilities, delegate more effectively and, and put that infrastructure in so that you can grow because I'm a believer what happens in a company as the business grows you start to run into those bottlenecks again where you need the people to expand and grow so that you can then grow the business around them they kind of have to happen together and so that's I'd say our challenge as a growing business is the resources and giving them the tools empowering them um, and helping them grow and, and so that the company can go along with them that's one of the bigger challenges I think we constantly face so there you go Oof, a doozy indeed. Um, <laughs> that's a really multifaceted situation. So I'm wondering if there's one part of it in particular that we could focus on, whether it's, you know, the empowering employees piece or, or dealing with the bottlenecks of growth, or is, is there one piece in particular that is especially 
juicy for you right now or top of mind or or yeah let's let's take let's take that let's take something very top of mind for probably all of us right now is we're remote right so real quick our business the only people in the office day to day are the people producing manufacturing lights we make our own lights here in colorado and then the people shipping them um so shipping and building uh you know production and that's it the rest of us are remote myself included so we've got new employees still rolling on we're not letting people go we're hiring still um so bring people, getting them in the organization, getting them to work well together. You've got all these different personalities to mesh. So any tips or tricks, maybe this would be most useful for people right now in our environment is how do you maintain, you know, I miss the water cooler. You know, I miss, I miss that ability to talk and connect with the people I get to work with. And just like the industry, I worked with an amazing group of people and I love being around them. We don't have that anymore. Uh, we get together occasionally for R&D. We have to do Tomorrow, the whole office will get together. We've got a large hemp grow that we do for R&D purposes. We'll all get together and harvest that. So luckily, we still get to come together for these activities where we can practice social distancing, but all kind of get under the same one roof again for a moment. Um, so we get that, but we, we lack a lot of that interaction that I think we, that we miss. And, and I'm a big believer that, you know, we don't have to be best friends, but we all need to sort of trust each other and have faith, you know, kind of the whole, I can fall back, they're gonna catch me. I know they've got my back. So how do you foster that in a time like this in COVID? And the two parts of that are one, we've got COVID, which is separating us. And at the same time, we're still adding employees. So you've got to roll people on, but I don't have the ability to stick people in the same room anymore, get them to know each other. So it's all remote. We're growing a business and we've got COVID to deal with. And I need them to all, at a simple level, just get along and work well together. Any thoughts on that specifically? That kind of, let's call it team building in the time of COVID. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. That could be a, that could be an article right there. Um, it's a great, great question. And it's funny because I, I had Mark Doherty on a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you know Mark from uh, Urban Grow. And oh, yeah. he, he had a very similar, he didn't bring it up in the coaching piece, but he did mention that, you know, this was a challenge he had as well of the whole team is remote. We don't get to see each other. How do we how do we stay connected? How do we have that that team camaraderie element and that trust at a distance? And it's a great question. I I, I think hmm. I, I don't have an answer for you. What I what I but I do have questions. So <laughs> my 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 question would be: what if anything did you do? in the past to build camaraderie or trust between the team? Because uh, it sounds like I, I heard you reference some of these informal interactions, uh, you know, like at the water cooler, or just going out to lunch or whatever, this kind of stuff. I wonder if there are any kind of formal, you know, team building or team bonding type stuff that, that happened. Uh, interesting. There, there, there was, and there sort of is, it's not as formal now being remote, but, what we've done, because <coughs> I do, I really believe in this, and I, some people might consider it a waste of time, but I think it's important to spend the time. So I wouldn't call it formal team building, but we had, um, or have, just changed a little bit now being remote, uh, an all-employee team meeting. So everybody, there's nobody that's not included, right? So it's not just for salespeople or for admin, it's everybody together. So all the employees, um, shipping everyone, gets together twice a month. So basically every other week every two weeks so it's twice a month so certain months fall weird but let's call it every other week once a one time a month it was breakfast uh, which was generally bagels so easy we'd all stand around eat a bagel and have a talk catch up on what's going in the office what we're doing as a company that sort of stuff 
And then the alternating time, so two weeks later, the other time in the month would be a lunch where we would all eat lunch together, so a little longer, a little more time to sit down and kind of powwow and think about and discuss things, kind of update everyone where you're at in the company. And we would do round robins at lunch, so we'd, everyone would go around and have a chance to say kind of what they're working on their area. So if you're talking about formal team building, I don't know if that's formal team building enough to you, but that's the closest in what we were doing to really make sure we got together, all got in the same room and, and connected as a group. Um, you know, we're still small enough to do that. I know big companies, they probably couldn't do it twice a month, maybe once a month is even hard. We're still small enough where we can get by and do that, and we were doing that. Now we're doing a remote. Um, it's a little harder to get everybody in there, so we don't get everybody. We might be missing one or two, but we do still do it. Um, but yeah, that's what we were doing, and we're still trying to maintain it. But as far as formal team building, the only other time I'd say team building happens, somewhat impromptu and informally, but still somewhat formally is we, when we would do larger trade shows, we'd take a group of us. If you travel with a group of people for three or four days together, you're going to build some camaraderie. That just happens. You're eating meals together. You're staying you know, at hotels together, whatnot. So um, that sort of happened naturally. Obviously, again, in the time of COVID, trade shows are gone for now. Um, so we lose that and that. But then again, that was also not all employees. You know, the people in shipping don't go to trade shows. They're, they're stuck with the, the off the shipping. So it's more the salespeople that go. So it was a smaller subset, but still largest part, part of the company would go to some of those shows. So that was the only other one. But the formal one would be the twice a month grouping. So I think that's all I could say there. Got it. So I'm hearing the the group meetings, the group meals, and then traveling to trade shows. Um, have you been doing any of those group meetings on Zoom or trying to replicate on mm -hmm. Zoom with like the, you know, team breakfast or team lunch on Zoom? Yeah, yeah, to a degree we are. That's where it gets a little harder because people eat. It's not a, I'm a big believer in kind of the breaking of bread together. I think there's a lot to be said about bonding over food. That's probably past my restaurant background. I'm passionate about food. So I, we miss out on that portion, but we do still get together, as you said, specifically on Zoom is the platform we use. And yeah, so we do still try to get together. It's just not 100% of people can be there at all times, and it's not as engaging as sitting around a table together, obviously. Right, right, right. So I'm, I'm curious, what is the, what's the fear or the concern that, you know, without this in-person intimacy between the team, you know, what's, what might that cost you? the intimacy or to not have it to not have it that you're not having it now with the team yeah i mean i, I you know everyone just kind of don't get me wrong I, I believe everyone should have a life outside of work it should not all be about work at all but um i feel you lose some of that um you know as a group we've been good about creating a team of people that are all kind of marching in the same direction we all are heading towards a common goal right um so with regard to that um I feel like we lose a little bit of that because people get, and this is good. And so I don't want to say this is bad, but this is something that I think we need to, to be cognizant of as, as managers during this time is, you know, people, let's say are home, they're, they're working on their home garden. Great. And then vegetable or cannabis, whatever. They, they have more projects going on. They're, they're less, you know, going into the office eight hours a day. It wasn't just about being at a desk. There's something about separation of home and work. And, and don't get me wrong. I, from an IT background, I've worked from home remote for more years than I've probably been in an office. So I have no problem with remote work, um, but you lose some of that camaraderie. I mean, I worked at a job once where I only saw, in two years, I only saw my coworkers once. So you, but I never built a relationship. And when that job ended, unlike jobs where I worked in the office for years, 
there was nobody I was in touch with afterwards. There was no, there was clearly no real relationship built in that job. Still did a good job and made money and that was fun, but not the same type of vibe. And I, I prefer to have one where we do have friends we work with and we're not just working with a bunch of acquaintances. So I think you do miss out uh, by not having that and uh, that connection and being in the room together. Um, I just, you know, at this point, who knows if we'll ever get back there. But yeah, I think the risk is you lose those relationships. Um, might still be able to work together well, but I think that's what I fear is we're missing out on those, the opportunity to have a better, deeper relationship with our coworkers. And is that something that concerns you more on a personal level or for the impact on the business or business outcomes? Um, I think at some level it's personal, but mostly it's the business side in that um, I, uh, you know, teams that work together, I don't, like I said, no, we're never going to have everybody be best friends. That's not the goal, and that's not what a business's goal should be. But I think having respect and um, some bit of admiration for the people you work with, you know, like I said, I get to work with a great group of people that I respect, and, and I respect their capabilities as well as what they bring to the table every day to come to work. And so I think if you don't have that in your job, I think you're missing out. So I think everyone should have that opportunity to work with people they like, and it, it enriches your life. Like, we all have to work. We've got to eat. We all got to eat. You should enjoy eating food. People that don't enjoy eating food, as it boggles my mind, I'm like, you're stuck doing it your whole life. Sort of same with work, unless maybe you're lucky enough to be born rich or something. I guess there are people that don't have to work, but most of us have to work. And so why not enjoy it, just like food? So I think there's a big part about if we're going to work, we might as well love what we do and like the people we have to work around. And so I think a part of that is building those relationships and, and building the understanding. Because again, I don't have to think they're my best friend, but I have to respect their perspective and, and where they're coming from. And so, yeah, I think we miss out on some of that. It's, it's harder without those bonds to not just have a working relationship. And I think if the relationship goes a little bit deeper than work, that that is good for all of us and makes for a richer work experience. Yeah, uh, I, I hear you that basically if you have a team that's more connected on a personal level, even if they're not best friends, but, you know, just where they know a little bit of what's going on in each other's lives and kind of what's new and and have that familiarity and, and see each other a little more often that, you know, they're going to be more willing to, you know, pick up the slack for, you know, when, Hey, I need some help or even ask for help. Hey, can you help me out with this? So I, I think here's what I, I've, Oh, I just got the best idea, which is, I wonder if you've brought this same question to your team and to the company and just said, Hey, everyone, I need your help. I want for us to all, you know, bond and be friendly and have camaraderie and et cetera. I don't know how to do it over, you know, in this COVID world. What can we do? And I am confident that even just giving them that shared, because I'm, I'm willing to bet that you're not the only one who's, who's feeling that, right? And, and so I wonder if just bringing them in on that would spark whatever the answer will end up being. So that's one suggestion that I feel really good about. The other thing, just from a higher level, if I kind of zoom out and just think about what I've learned and read over the years about building trust and building really intimacy, it sounds like to me, this is like an intimacy thing. And so I think people need to share with each other and, and really, you know, it's like, what is the replacement for that 
shared experience of going to the trade shows and traveling and doing all that stuff. And I wonder if there's an opportunity to leverage, you know, this shared experience of, hey, we're all working from home, we're all working remotely, you know, we don't have that separation. What's that been like for you? Or how can we, you know, how can that become, how can the obstacle become the thing over which we can all bond and rally? Um, so so that, that's what comes to mind. And I, I believe that it's possible to, to still have those kind of personal, hey, what's a personal win? Everyone go around, what's a personal win or a personal challenge you've had outside of work in the last month or whatever? And, and I, I think even just something simple and like really human like that could be enough to, to just spark uh, a little more of that connection and camaraderie because it's, it's really about connection at the end of the day, right? Where if I feel connected to my colleagues I'm and connected to the mission of what we're building with this company, you know, I'm going to be willing to put in some extra effort, some extra attention, some extra care. Um, and so as I say that, what comes to mind for me is you get what you give, right? And so I'm wondering how you as the leader can model that behavior and, and, and reach out to people and, and say, hey, how can we support you? Or how can we give you a little extra connection? Or how can we give you a little, you know, and I don't know how big the team is. I don't know, you know, another idea that came to mind for me, maybe down the line is like a retreat or some kind of thing, you know, eventually, or, or even like a smaller, you know, team by team. I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of brainstorming. I don't have the answer for you. And that's not my job. Luckily, I, I get paid for the questions and not for the answers, which is a great place to be. Um, but I'm going to pause there and, and just ask you, you know, how, what's coming up for you? What, what are you thinking as, as you hear all this and, and have a chance to even just think about it on your own? I'd say um, I was kind of curious to see if get anything out of the, um, the coaching part of this. And I, I think your input right there was worth the, the, the ticket of the price of admission right there, just because I will do that. That, that is interesting because, you know, it's come up, you know, do we want to still have these meetings or, or like very simple pieces of discussion, but I don't think we've had the fundamental discussion you're saying, which is, look guys, we're stuck in this for a little while. We can all agree on that. And, you know, maybe not forever and hopefully not forever, but it is not the new norm, but it is the new norm for now. And given these constraints that we're remote and this, that we want to be safe, um, but we still want to have that interaction that I think your idea of having, um, taking one of the meetings that we do as a group, which come every two weeks and, and bringing that question up as the focus of that meeting and saying, what can we do? You know, uh, and, and, you know, I don't know, you know, safety, we can talk about COVID all we want, but you know, like I'm more comfortable getting together outside. So maybe we should get a picnic or lunch together make the effort to get together in person once because everything's been via Zoom for months now, you know, in terms of large gatherings other than, you know, training and such. But so maybe we should do that. But I think you're right. That is a question I should bring to the whole team and, and see if there's thoughts or concerns or where, every, or where everyone's head is at because who knows if they're in the same place I am in terms of, you know, they, they would like more um, of that camaraderie and, and that they think it would benefit the company and, and the team. So I think that's a great discussion to have and I will actually be doing sure so that made it worth it right there so amazing yeah. amazing well i'm glad to hear that and i'm gonna 
I, I won't go any further then. If you got <laughs> if you got your money's worth, you know, then why why take any more time? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will request though that um, you know, I have to just ask you for kind of a firm commitment of when you might bring that up to the team and and I wonder if you'd be willing to report back to me, you know, privately, just so I per, I'm actually very curious to to hear how the conversation goes and and what what the team comes up with and and how how you guys move forward on this. So I, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to just keep me informed there. Yes, and you're asking the good questions. Rubber meets the road, right? It's uh, you know all these all this talking got always actually put into action. And so. As we're talking right now, I'm going to go into um, the my notes for the the meeting, the um, the all employee meeting that we do, and specifically to answer your question next Tuesday. So that would be on. I was just checking to answer your question, the seventh July. Um, we have our next all employee meeting, and I will be bringing it up for sure then. So on July seventh is the hard date it'll happen, and I'm putting in my notes for that meeting right now, so it gets brought up and. That is the, I told you there are two different formats. That's the shorter half hour breakfast meeting. So I will just take that entire half hour meeting and say we'll dedicate it to a quick discussion regarding how do we continue to stay connected as a group during this time and with these meetings and such. So um, just making a couple quick notes. Awesome. I'm just curious, how many people are on the team right now? Um, to come to the meetings, there's a, we usually get, get about, able to get about 12 of us together. We've got a few more than that, but um, about 12 of us that we can get together usually about a dozen or so for the the, the meetings um, is what I shoot for on this one so it's about where we are at right now in terms of those meetings so it's it's a big enough group to make it worthwhile but not so big that it's an unmanageable zoom meeting you know with everybody trying to talk over each other so it's somewhat manageable yeah and I, I would just say and we can chat about this more offline if you like but I've been in meetings I have a standing Monday night meeting with usually anywhere from 10 to 20 people where we're on Zoom for a couple hours and we go really, really deep into our personal stuff. And I just know, I can tell you from my experience that it's with, with a group that size, it's totally possible to really uh, have some solid connection on Zoom, even in an hour. So uh, it's definitely possible uh, it's just a matter of facilitating it and, and just kind of, again, it, it's ironically having someone, having everyone aligned on like, hey, we're going to get together just to be together, you know, and, and for, for this 30 minutes or for an hour, that's it. You know, there's no, no work. It's just going to be all of us. Everyone's going to get a chance, you know, to, to, to share, to participate. We're all going to be the same level here and it's just for the purpose of you know supporting each other or, or or being together or whatever and you know 12 people in an hour everyone talks for about five minutes you know it's really i don't know i, I i'm just throwing a, an idea out there don't you know don't hold me to this or anything you know but see what your team says i'm, I'm sure they will know much better than than I do and I think even just kind of instilling or demonstrating to them that hey I trust you guys to figure this out I don't have all the answers I think whenever a leader does that I think that already inspires and invites more trust and more confidence from the team that hey you know 
where we are a unit and, you know, I do matter. My opinion matters. And, and, you know, I'm a part of something here. So I don't know. I, I think I, I feel good that I gave you your money's worth today. So <laughs> I'm going to pause there and, and Noah, before I let you go, I want to ask you if you have any parting thoughts or words of, you know, anything we didn't cover or anything you want to share with the audience before I let you go. Uh, no, not at all. I, we covered some interesting stuff. You asked some great questions. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your input. And I will pay you back. I will definitely follow up and let you know what comes out of that meeting at the very least and let you know, because I'm curious, very curious what will come out of it. Because like I said, I've struggled with it for a few months as COVID, not in a bad way, but just kind of been toying with it and thinking it through. And I know that by bringing it up to the team, I will get ideas and um, thoughts and perspectives that I never would have come up with my own. So again, appreciate that. And I will take it on to let you know what the outcome of that meeting is if we get any real jewels or nuggets out of that meeting. So I'll let you know the effectiveness. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for your time, Noah. It's been great chatting with you. And yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate you for taking the time, taking the risk and for all you do to make this industry light up. <laughs> thanks. Thank you. And thanks for being a part of it as well. It's a lot of fun. I like said, get to meet a lot of great people. It's been a pleasure to get to meet you on this call. So thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Noah. Have a great day. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.